0: Good morning, Oakwood. We are live from downtown Oxford on top of the Red Knapp's restaurant building. Thanks, Red Knapp's. appreciate them being willing to let us up on top of their roof. I'll tell you why we're here in just a moment, but why don't you stop and pray? Could you pray with me this morning? Would you say these words? God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Give that prayer to God. And God, we pray that you're glorified, everyone hearing this is edified, and that Satan would be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen. We're up on this roof to look down on the city of Oxford because it's Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we know that Jesus was coming out of the Mount of Olives on his way down and then back up to the city of Jerusalem. But coming down from the Mount of Olives, he could clearly see the city. We're talking about the triumphal entry. But is it really? (laughs) This morning, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday, what was really actually happening there. We're going to learn that palm plant praise is problematic. Palm plant praise is problematic. We're in Matthew 21, 1 through 11. You can turn there in your Bibles or get a gadget ready to go. While I take us back a verse or two, because I want to set the scene. What's happening before the triumphal entry? Well, we know in Matthew 20, 17, we hear what's going on with Jesus right before he goes into Jerusalem. In Matthew twenty seventeen, it says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he'll be raised to life. So before we even get to the triumphal entry, Jesus makes it clear that they're going to Jerusalem so that he can be crucified. But he would rise again then right before they make the journey down out of the Mount of Olives, this scene happens. Matthew 20, 29 through 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and calmed them. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. I love the clarity there. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to see. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received sight and they followed Jesus. That's what's happening on our way right before the triumphal entry. Loud truck, sorry about that. (laughs) That's what's happening. We've got Jesus telling his disciples he would go and die. And he receives, uh, the, the blind men receive a great miracle. And Jesus has a crowd that's following him. And that's the scene as we head down out of the Mount of Olives and back up into the city of Jerusalem for this triumphal entry. We call it a triumphal entry because we think it's all worship. But is it really? Is that entry in Jerusalem really triumphal? Well, Let me just tell you, as you read the story, something's not right. Everything is backwards. It's not what you would think. You see, with Jesus, we live in a kingdom upside down, and nothing's what it seems. As they're heading into Jerusalem, uh, he's riding on a donkey, not a horse. Jesus usually walks. He doesn't ride. What's he doing on a donkey? Everything's a little messed up. But with Jesus and the kingdom upside down, we realize that he tells us things like, you need to be a servant, that the least are the greatest. We learn that the rebel son gets the feast, and we learn that the enemy Samaritan is the hero. So with Jesus, you never get what you expect. It's something different, and there's a reason for that. Well, the Bible says in Matthew 15, verse 8, it's your key verse. It's our memory verse for the kids and families today. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's in Matthew 15, 8. That tells us that Jesus knows people's hearts. He knows if worship is authentic, if it's real or not. And so here we go. Coming into this city, Palm Sunday, and we have Jesus on a donkey. Point number one is the donkey king. The donkey king. Let's read the passage. Matthew 21. 1 through 6, 1 through 5. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you anything, say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why is Jesus riding instead of walking like he usually does? And why not on a horse? Well, it's to fulfill prophecy. That quote came from Zechariah 9:9, where it's prophesied that Jesus would come on a donkey, not on a, a steed. And that's what you need to know. We've got a humble servant on a donkey, not a warrior king on a steed as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And that's important because the people thought they were getting a, a warrior king to overthrow the government. But Jesus makes it clear he's the prophesied one, the humble king, the servant king, riding on a donkey, not a wild horse. In First Kings 1 verse 33, He said to them, take your Lord's servant with you and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. You see, the son of David, Solomon, he came riding on a donkey, not on a steed. Jesus is following biblical prophecy and showing he's the donkey king. He's the servant king. Not what you would expect. This shows his divine power, though. His divine power to ride a wild, unridden animal, grab a a, a colt, never been ridden, and he's going to get on it and ride it. Not advisable. I I told you guys many times, I'm scared to death of horses. I'm scared to death of wild animals. Every time I've been on a horse's back, something's gone wrong. I remember being up in Mackinac Island with a bunch of college girls, and we went uh, on a horseback ride. That's what you do on Mackinac Island. I was scared to death we went and made it very clear to the place that I'd not had any good experience with horses. And they said, we've got a horse for you. So they brought up the horses. And one by one, they'd give each girl a horse. There was Fireball and, and Stud and Stallion. And then they came to me and said, here's your horse, Buttercup. And Buttercup had seen better days. Buttercup was really old, probably a couple of days away from the glue factory. I don't know. But Buttercup had seen much better days, sway slow I crawled up on that saddle got on buttercup and my friends that was with me they took off on their cool horses and they took off and my buttercup just walked just walked I was scared to death still and then I felt it I thought for sure buttercup had decided to buck me off in that moment I felt that that sensation like I was being thrown I screamed she's bucking me she's bucking me And all of a sudden the girls started laughing. They turned around and saw the buttercup and decided to lay down. She kind of put her paws underneath her and sat to the ground. I thought she was bucking me, but she was going to take a rest. Jesus has divine power here. He's not afraid of a wild animal. He shows his divine power by getting on this wild colt. Never been ridden. And he gets on it and it calmly takes him to town. Jesus came as that donkey king, but you need to know he is the warrior king that he's coming back again. In Revelation 19 11 through 16 the Bible tells us he's coming back as the warrior king on a white horse and he will have every knee bow to him. We do have a warrior king. Jesus is not only a servant king but he's coming back again as the warrior king. Second thing we see in this passage not only the donkey king, but we see the delighted crowd. Matthew 21, 6-9 says this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and colt, prepared their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heavens. We have a delighted crowd. And they're shouting this phrase, Hosanna. Hosanna, it's it's a really strange word. It's like trying to define hooray. Uh, What does that mean? It's, It's an exuberant shout, but it does have an element of help us, save us. It has an element of this guy's going to rescue us. And we know that they're cutting down these Palm branches and waving them in the air, and that's not an accidental thing. It was convenient; they were all over the place. But the reason why they did this is they hadn't been free for over a hundred years. Judas Maccabeus, nicknamed the Hammer, he is the last one that had given Israel their freedom. They had victory underneath him, and he adopted the palm branch as kind of the national flag. They used the palm branch as the Israel's national symbol. And so here they see this guy coming in on this donkey. They want him to save them. They want something from him. But here's the problem with palm plant praise. It's temporary. When you cut a palm branch off, it's going to die. It doesn't last long. And that's exactly the problem with palm plant praise. It isn't going to last long. We know that this day they're waving the flag and they're shouting Hosanna. But a week later they're going to say crucify him. Crucify him. The problem with palm plant praise is it doesn't last long. Their worship was based on what they wanted Jesus to do for them. These are the people that have been watching the miracles. They wanted Jesus around to fix stuff. Not only that, they wanted a political fix. Fix this, Jesus. The miracle man, the political savior. That's what they wanted. It was me, me, me. This is not authentic worship. I recently read a story about a a village in Spain long, long, long time ago. This village had gone a thousand years and the king had never visited their town. But they got word the king was coming. The king was going to visit their little tiny village. And so they were excited. What could they do fitting for a king? So they each decided all they did well was they made wine. They were winemakers. And so somebody came up with a classic idea everybody go and bring a cup of your finest wine that you've made and we'll each pour our cups into a vat and that vat would be the best of the best of all of us when the king comes he'll get a mixture of all of our best wine and it'll be the best he's ever tasted well that's what everybody did on the day design they came with their cups and they were to walk up the steps and pour it into a small opening of the vat One by one, each villager walked up and poured their cupful into the vat. Well, then the next day, the king came to town. When he rode into town, they had welcomed him with a big parade, and then they told him the gift that they were giving. They gave him a silver goblet. He went up to this vat. He poured it, began to drink the wine, but there wasn't wine. It was only water. What had happened was each villager thought, I'm not going to give my best wine, but it won't hurt if I pour just a little water in with everybody else's wine. What they were not willing to do is sacrifice. They weren't willing to give up their best. They thought it wouldn't make a big difference because everybody else would be giving their best. But instead, everybody was being selfish and nobody had given the wine. That's the problem with palm plant praise. It isn't meaningful. It isn't deep worship. It isn't true gratitude I pray this morning that we are more than just palm plant praisers. The delighted crowd, we know, it didn't mean much. It was going to be temporary. And the third thing we see is the dubious quiz. Matthew 21, 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, that's the dubious quiz. The dubious word means doubtful. This is kind of a, a quiz, but it kind of it doesn't think the answer is going to be true. So the dubious quiz is this. Who is this Jesus? That's what was really going around town when Jesus came in on this donkey. They're waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, he's going to save us. He's going to be our new king. But everybody's really like, who is this? Who do you think this guy really is? And oh, they give an answer. And the answer is, well, it's, it's accurate, but it's woefully inadequate. The answer is, this is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Accurate, but not, it is woefully inadequate. Jesus is much more than that. They didn't know that. So they go from Hosanna to crucify him. They were willing to follow him to a throne, but they weren't willing to follow him to his cross. A week later, he didn't look like a king coming into town. He was beaten, bruised on a cross, and they walked away from him. So we got the donkey king and a delighted crowd and a dubious quiz. Now we come down to number four, the determining question. See, there's a determining question here that you need to be asked. In Matthew 16, 15, we see that Jesus asked, But what about you? Who do you say that I am? That's my question for all of us today. Who do you say that Jesus is? On this Palm Sunday, are you willing just to do a a palm plant praise? It's not going to last long. Are you willing to be all in and give all of you? Because that is what Jesus requires in Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Are you willing to be all in? Deny yourself? These people weren't denying themselves. They wanted something from Jesus. They wanted me, me, me that that kind of satisfaction that that Jesus would bring like some kind of a a genie in a bottle. But Jesus has called us to be more than self-centered. He's called us to be selfless. He's called us to be followers, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily. Are you willing to die along with Christ? Are we willing to die for him? That's the determining question. Is he the Savior and Lord Or just your lucky genie in a bottle? This morning on Palm Sunday, I pray that you have a Savior. I pray that you have a Lord that you follow. Because your answer to that question will reveal palm plant praise or purposeful planned praise. Is this just going to be a convenient moment of hooray? Or is your worship of Jesus a purposeful planned lifetime of praise to your Savior are you a palm plant praiser or a properly prepared pupil? You know, in Matthew 21, it goes on from there. And we find that Jesus clears the temple. He comes in on this donkey as king and people expect him to fix stuff. Instead, he goes in and he messes up the way they like to worship. He throws over the tables and the, the money counters. And he says, my Lord's house is a house of prayer this morning. I hope you don't walk away from Jesus when things aren't going your way. Is he your Savior and Lord at all times or not? But then it ends with this incredible thing. Verses 18 and 19, an interesting story happens. We're still in Matthew 21. It says, early in the morning, so it's the next day, Jesus is on his way back to the city and he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. That's a wild verse. Can you imagine being his disciples and Jesus curses the tree and it dies immediately? Whoa! What's going on? Well, as Jesus came up to this fig tree, it had leaves on it. The Bible tells us in another passage, it was leafing. And from studying fig trees, you find out that when they leaf is when they produce the fruit. But this tree had somehow decided it just wanted to look figgy. It put out a show of, of branches and yet it had no fruit. When Jesus saw this, I just wonder if he wasn't thinking back to that palm plant praise. This fake veneer of we love you, we worship you when it wasn't authentic. And so when Jesus goes to this fig tree and there's no fruit, just a show, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. You're, you're worth dying because there's nothing living in you. I wonder if that was what was on his mind. Today, I encourage you to be authentic in your worship of Jesus. Is it true today during this terrible outbreak that we've had? Is it true today with the loss of income? Is he your Savior and Lord and do you worship him? Not with palm plant praise, but with purposeful planned praise. Not just that, but properly prepared pupil praise. Ooh, that's a lot of peace properly prepared pupil praise. See, he's called us to be followers, his disciples. That means a student of him. Are you preparing and properly loving him as the one who teaches you and gives you life? This morning, I pray that we would be authentic, not like the fig tree, not like these palm plant praisers, but make it be real in you. I want to make sure that you know that your salvation is for real this morning, not fake, nothing just momentarily but real in you if you don't know about that I encourage you contact us we've got that contact card where you can get a hold of us please fill that out and let us know you need to talk to a pastor or maybe this morning you need to pray and say God I want to be saved I want this to be real take care of that this morning and let us know so we can follow up with you and then in closing we've got the soul training exercises I must worship God for his character Uh, Francis Chan says his perfect holiness by definition assures us that our words can't contain him isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate we worship God for his character not for what he can do for us and finally I must stop focusing on myself and my temporary circumstances Billy Graham said the highest form of worship is worship of an unselfish Christian servant so it's not about me it's not about now we have a God who doesn't change. I pray that that's the way you worship in spirit and in truth. Hey, God bless. Looking forward to Easter. Want you to invite friends to tune in and watch our Easter service next week, 10 a.m. Blessings.